Welcome to Europe Speaks, a TEPSA podcast channel where we explore everything to do with the European Union, history, current affairs and the future of Europe. This week, here's another DICE webinar where we've gathered the world's leading experts on differentiated European integration. In this episode, Brigitte Lafan, Director of the Robert Schuman Centre for Advanced Studies and the coordinator of the DICE project, examines the Brexit negotiation process. She explains how red lines on both sides led to an eventual no-deal scenario and analyses the UK's changing relations with the EU, from internal to external differentiated integration. Good morning and welcome to this DICE webinar. My name is Bridget Laffin. I'm Director and Professor at the Robert Schumann Centre for Advanced Studies at the European University Institute in Florence. In this webinar, I'm going to talk about differentiation and Brexit. There is one main point that I want you to take from what I say today. Brexit is a living experiment in the transition from internal differentiation in the EU to external differentiation as a third country. Let's begin by looking at the United Kingdom and internal differentiation. The UK joined the EU on the 1st of January uh, 1973, part of the first enlargement. But it was always an uneasy, awkward, reluctant and troubled member of the EU. It was never quite at ease with its membership. It was, over time, a champion of opt-outs. Beginning with the Maastricht Treaty in 1992, the UK opted out of the single currency, the social protocol, the Schengen regime and justice and home affairs. In 2016, when David Cameron, British Prime Minister, negotiated the deal prior to the referendum, he also asked for and received the removal of the obligation on the United Kingdom of ever closer union, part of the EU treaty. But that didn't seem to matter because Leave won the Brexit referendum by a narrow majority. But that left the question, what did Brexit mean? What would it mean? What it certainly meant was that the United Kingdom was transitioning from a member state to a third country in the making through the withdrawal agreement, negotiations and a future relationship. The first phase, the withdrawing, the divorce, that lasted from March 17 to the end of January 2020, when the UK formally and legally left the EU. Then in February 2020, dramatically to the 24th of December, Christmas Eve 2020, the EU and the UK negotiated the TCA, the future relationship. And on the 1st of January 2021, we had the full effects of Brexit. The EU and the UK end up with a very thin deal. And in order to understand that, we have to look at the different kinds of relationships the UK has with third countries, with the neighbourhood. This was dramatically illustrated by Michel Barnier, the EU's chief negotiator, when he used this escalier, this staircase, when he spoke to the heads of government in December 17. Now, if you look at this, you see at the very top of the stairs, 
you have full membership of the EU. And then every step down, you have a thinner relationship between that country, group of countries and the EU. The first and most intense is with the EEA countries. Secondly, the multiple sectoral bilateral relationships with Switzerland. Thirdly, association agreement with Ukraine. And fourthly, the customs union with Turkey. But if you go from the top of the stairs right down to the very end, then you end up with what this chart shows as a free trade agreement or no deal. So the question in the Brexit negotiations was where would the UK rest at the end of these negotiations? Would it go from right at the top of the escalier to the very bottom? And we know that it was that journey down the stairs from the top to the bottom because these negotiations were a battle about red lines. So let's look at what the red lines were. For the UK, the dominant vision was take back control, which meant leave the single market, leave the customs union, control UK waters for fish, and no jurisdiction for the European Court of Justice. So very, very red, red lines. Of course, on the other side, the EU also had its red lines. And these were driven by the need to unify the 27, that the EU would speak with one voice, would negotiate with one voice, and would stick together through these negotiations. And the EU was determined to maintain the integrity of the single market, the indivisibility of the four freedoms, the autonomy of EU decision-making and governance. Now, what did that mean? Essentially, what it meant was that there had to be a balance between the rights of access to the EU and its benefits and the obligations that a country takes on, either a member state or a third country. And what the EU was determined was that the balance between rights and obligations would not become unstable, that there would be an appropriate balance between the rights that the United Kingdom would receive and the obligations that it would commit to. And so why did we get these red lines? Why was there such a big gap between the red lines of the UK on the one side and the red lines of the EU on the other? Well, both sides were in protective mode. The EU was determined that the value of its large internal market, the legal and institutional edifice that allows us to trade, to travel, to live across Europe, that that would not be undermined or diluted by the UK receiving benefits without costs. This was because for the EU, as a member state, the first member state in the history of integration to leave, to exit the club, membership had to matter. You simply couldn't walk out the door of, a, for example, a golf club and continue to have all of the rights uh, of membership. But on the UK side, the UK was determined to have what David Frost described as an absolute sovereignty freedom from EU regulation, 
freedom from EU law and freedom to make decisions only in the United Kingdom and in the House of Commons. And it was very much driven by a very classical interpretation of sovereignty, that sovereignty begins at home and remains at home. Whereas the EU model is very different. The member states of the EU agree to share their sovereignty, to pool their sovereignty, to act collectively, and in the process of acting collectively, they are collectively stronger. So there was a very big clash of practice, clash of model, and clash of red line. And out of all of this, we end up with a very, very thin uh, TCA between the United Kingdom on the one hand and the EU on the other. This deal is much thinner than is appropriate for near neighbours, but it was the only deal possible given the red lines. The alternative was no deal at all, which would have been catastrophic for everyone concerned. But there is a twist in the sovereignty argument and in differentiation when it comes to Brexit, and that is the challenge of Northern Ireland, because Northern Ireland is part of the United Kingdom, but also governed under the Good Friday Agreement, which allows for north-south institutions, east-west institutions between the island of Ireland and Great Britain, and also an internal political settlement in Northern Ireland. In other words, extremely complex governance structures. But the problem was that if the United Kingdom left the EU, there had to be a border somewhere. Now, you will see from these photographs that this is a border that is extremely difficult, if not impossible, to control. You see that there is a road where one side of the road is in the United Kingdom and the other is in the EU. In other words, it's in the Republic of Ireland. You also see other roads where you must pass from one jurisdiction to another simply by driving your car. There are more border crossings on this border than there are on the entire eastern uh, borders of the EU. So the question then was, where would a border go? The Irish government and the EU were determined that it couldn't go on this very long, complex border, which couldn't be governed or policed. So what we've ended up with is that the UK gets their absolute sovereigntist Brexit, but only for Great Britain. You get sovereignty for Great Britain, whereas Northern Ireland is governed by something called the Northern Ireland Protocol, which effectively keeps Northern Ireland in the EU for trade in goods, which has customs implications, regulatory implications. And that means that there is now an economic border in the Irish Sea. And as we know, there's great difficulty in implementing the Northern Ireland Protocol because it's very complex to actually divide the internal market of any country, which is what's happening, the United Kingdom. So we end up with an unstable outcome. We end up with differentiation within the United Kingdom. Uh, and we also end up with a very thin agreement, which is much, much thinner than would one would assume to be necessary between near neighbours. 
So to sum up on internal and external differentiation, they are very different political, legal and institutional phenomena. Internal differentiation opt-outs. The country opting out has a voice at the table, their consent is needed for the rest to go ahead, and they have real influence. So when the United Kingdom was a member state, it could influence the regimes that it wasn't a member of. But external differentiation is very different. There the country opts to be a third country. And that means that you have 27 countries, the member states on one side of the table versus one. In other words, the country leaving or that has left has very limited capacity to influence what happens in the EU, to have voice about what happens in the EU, because the EU controls the departure process and frames the future relationship. In my view, the external differentiation that is manifest in Brexit is not a stable equilibrium, and I anticipate that it will change over the next 10 years, and that most likely post a Johnson government, when that happens, there will be an attempt to have a stronger relationship between the UK and the EU. But for now, we end up with this very, very thin, unstable agreement, and particularly unstable in relation to Northern Ireland. Thank you for listening to this uh, DICE webinar. Uh, please uh, listen and look at the others. Thank you. This project has received funding from the European Union's Horizon 2020 Research and Innovation Programme under Grants Agreement number 870789. The European Commission's support for the production of this podcast does not constitute an endorsement of the contents, which reflects the views only of the authors, and the Commission cannot be held responsible for any use which may have been made of the information contained therein. Thank you.